Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and here's Mr. John Morris with our sponsors. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This episode of Working Class Fishing is brought to you by Troutlander Nets, exploration through innovation, lid rig, use your head, snip different, max and outfitters, made by anglers for people that fish, and Morris Flyco, eating big. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much, John, for introducing the sponsors. And today, this is a re-record because we had some technical difficulties a few weeks ago. But luckily, we got a very awesome and special guest with us today. Uh, Blake, who has the YouTube channel Washington Fish Quest, has decided to join us and go for another hour-long recording marathon session, even though he's on the hook for dinner. But we wanted to introduce everybody to Blake, and, and he's a good friend of ours. He has an awesome channel. Washington Fish Quest, it's been on YouTube for a long time. I'll let him give you all the exact data. But nonetheless, Blake, thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate having you here. Oh, heck yeah. Gentlemen of culture. It's always, it's always a pleasure, uh, John and Brian. So happy to be back. Heck, it's a, it's a blessing that that first episode, you know, got corrupted and couldn't be, uh, be uploaded. I think it was too awesome, honestly. So <laughs> I'd be surprised if this one actually makes it either. Well, I think, I think this one's going to go really good because now like the flow and rhythm and everything else, but John and I will still step all over each other and, you know, do, do, do our normal thing. So it's kind of like PT Barnum circus, but you know, without I'll the help. sideshow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, right. I'm not a hundred percent certain, but it's probably because we mentioned Bill Dance at some point. Don't say that. Bill Dance. Don't say Bill Dance. <laughs> We've had to say that so many times. I think did. I guess the last, last episode we just released, somebody said Bill Dance, and then we started having glitches with, like, streaming. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so well, Blake. Oh, oh go ahead. Ahead. John C. Already out of the <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. It takes three to tango, you know? <laughs> Maybe four or five and a dog. <laughs> Blake, dude, if you would, be so kind. Um Kind of tell us about how you got into fishing and kind of what you're doing with Washington Fish Quest. Yeah, yeah. Let me see here. I'll fill, yeah. So, you know, like a lot of people, I think my, my dad got me into it, my biological father. That said, I want to be careful with that because unfortunately my, my, my boy, to start off in the down, my dad had some substance abuse issues, you know, like rest his soul and all that good stuff. But uh, so I want to be real clear that like, he probably got me into it, but I want to give all the credit to my, 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 basically my single mom who, you know, uh, took me fishing, you know, and, uh, you know, baited hooks for me when I was a kid against, you know, probably her, her best wishes and all that good stuff. So, you know, like, for, like a lot of folks, it was a family, family affair, you know, and, uh, so I was, I was lucky enough to get that. I grew up in a town called Centralia, Washington, and it's, it's kind of a good old town, you know, in Washington state, you know, I rode my bike down to the lakes, you know, rode my, rode my bike to Boris Park and Hayes Lake and, uh, fish steelhead on the Skookumchuck and Chehalis rivers, you know, and it was, uh, it was, a, it was a good youth as far as fishing goes. That's for sure. You know, so I don't want to go into my whole life story here, but 
you know, I filmed city council meetings as a teenager, you know, in Centralia there. I, I went to community college there and, uh, you know, uh, got an AA in uh, basically media. So like video production and that sort of thing. So I, I really enjoy actually making videos and like editing them. Of course, I never used it as an adult, uh, but <laughs> at any rate, it was, it was good. You know, it was all good. And yeah, you know, so uh, my channel is Washington Fish Quest is, well, okay, let me start one more thing before Washington Fish Quest. I was on, I was on the board of a nonprofit called Olympia Film Society. I was the vice president, you know, and we basically have this grand old theater, the Capitol Theater in downtown Olympia it was originally erected in 1928. It was like the only theater in the entire area. And, you know, we actually bought the building when I was on the board and it was great. I thought that would reawaken the creative side of me, but like I found being on the board, even if it's like of an art nonprofit is like super political and you're just like kind of doing work. If that makes sense, there's like nothing creative about it. You know, you're like, it's like bookkeeping and making sure you're staying in the black and all that. So as soon as I finished that, I was like, ah, oh, I'm still unfulfilled creatively. And that's when I started Washington Fish Quest. At the time, there was only two channels that I believe are still active in Washington state that were doing, that were primarily fishing channels. This was a little over 10 years ago. And uh, if I had to say some things that make my channel unique is one, those channels are still active. And this is not to be, uh, not to throw shade at those channels at all, at all, but it's, uh, they have a profit motive, you know, I mean, they, 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 they run ads and, you know, maybe if I had as good, a good as sponsors as Maxim, I might do the same, but, uh, Maxim, I mean, cause I do, have, <laughs> I do have a nice Maxim fly run, but at any rate, uh, but I was going to say, I, my, my, my channel is always ad free. It's, you know, I don't have any sponsors. I just kind of say what I think is good and what I think is bad. So, I mean, I'll talk up a product, but there's no reason, you know, I don't know get any money for doing it. And so, I mean, I'd say that's a thing that makes my channel different from those other, other channels. Uh, I have, I have a philosophy and that is to me, the meaning of life is finding the thing that, uh, that it's finding the, the skill that you have that best meets society's need. And I don't think you get to choose that you know, I think it's just kind of like what you're best at, you know, and then that's your job. And that's what, that's what you go, you know, you go to work, you know, and then you have pleasure, you have your fun thing that you do. Whereas I think a lot of people's philosophy is, you know, do the thing you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That is not my philosophy. I respect people's philosophy that are, that is that other philosophy, but uh point of my rambling is that's why I don't mix business and pleasure. So for me, for me, my YouTube channel is just strictly pleasure. I mean, that's all, that's all I'm doing, you know? And, uh, it was also, I think when it started, I think there's, there's other channels quite similar to mine now in Washington state, but I was trying to just kind of showcase the diversity of Washington state fisheries. My, my, my early episodes were just episode one, two, three, and it'd be a different fish species. So the first was black rockfish. The second was, oh no, I can't remember. I think it was landlocked coho salmon. And then the third was bluegill. Fourth was I don't know, maybe channel catfish. I can't remember, but at any rate, when I was doing those episodes, those were the first of many of those 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 species in Washington State, like black like showcasing black rockfish, show you know uh, showcasing uh, you know the the landlocked coho Rife Lake, aka Silvers, you know uh, a lot of the, a lot of those early episodes were the fir first ever done. They're filmed on tape as well, <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, real old channel, kind of a, kind of a fossil, but I'm still kicking, you know. And uh, I don't know if there's much more than that, you know. I'm just trying to get out there and have fun, you know. Like I say, share my passion. Uh, it's all, it's all fun. Like I say, if I, if I tell you, I think, think a product is good. I really believe that in my heart of hearts and absolutely ma Maxim, uh, fly fishing is, uh, is one of those things. It's one of your sponsors. I have, I have a Maxim there. 
they're great rods, you know. I broke a tip one time, sent it back, and they 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 refunded it, no questions asked. They even paid for the shipping. So there you go. Is, uh, who took care of you on that return? Was it uh, Brian or was it uh, Justin or who, who did you talk to over there? You remember? I feel like it was Justin. I think I've had pretty long conversations even on the phone with Justin, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Justin. But yeah, no, it was, uh, no, was yeah, a good very guy. good. I love talking good. to him. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the, the, the whole premise of your channel that, that makes it super cool is, is that You've taken your state and you've shown a lot of people in your state a lot of really unique places, not just fish species, but places. You know, we before this, we were talking about that, that hidden pioneer graveyard. And, uh, you know, you talk about like little side quest things, but then you also branch out into shellfish. So, I mean, you do regular freshwater fish, saltwater fish, shellfish as well. Um, I don't know if I've dug as far as to see if you've done like uh, invertebrates, like... Um, squid or something else like that but i mean sky's the limit for you is there anything that you haven't targeted yet uh, as far as what goes on the quest hit list oh for sure and i have done squid i've done i've done market squid which is the common squid you jig up i hope to do humboldt squid someday when they sometimes they'll come come into the strait or come into the in the grace harbor but it's kind of rare at any rate not really as long as it lives in the water and swims you know uh, there, there's some things that I, like, I haven't done like gooseneck barnacles yet, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of fish species. I plan to do carp this summer, for instance. So at any rate, yeah, I started to say, the start of the show is just species by species. And I think I'm on the 52nd species. Actually, when I get to hundred, I plan to end the show, but that's going to take me, uh, I'm, I'm basically doing five species a year right now than everything else I consider a side quest. So it's just like a, just like a fun episode, you know? Like where I'm just like, hey, here I am at this lake targeting this fish that I've targeted previously, you know, and that still would give the show a 20 year run. And I'm over 10 years into it right now, a little over 10. So uh, point of my rambling is I don't think there's anything that's not on the hit list. And the hit list could expand too, is like different fish species might get introduced, you know. Uh, it is getting harder to innovate, I will say, because as I said, when I, when I targeted black rockfish, that was the first video on YouTube where someone was on the Westport, West Haven State Park jetty. Now I believe there's probably maybe 30 videos, like at least, at least it could be 50, but I mean, so, you know, back then it was such a different game on YouTube. And a lot of people just watch me because they're like, Oh, a Washington fishing channel on YouTube. How novel, you know, there's only a couple of those. Uh, so now though, it's like, you know, it's uh, and it's great. It's great. I uh, much, much, much prefer it this way. Now there's probably 40 other Washington fishing channels and, you know, there's only so many, so much water to cover, you know, but it's, it's wonderful. You know, I, Anybody listening, if you, if you have anything to say, I would say, you know, it's totally worth getting a YouTube channel or a podcast. I mean, these are technologies that didn't exist until our lifetimes, you know what I mean? So if you got anything to say, run it up the flagpole. It's a wonderful time to be alive as far as that goes, you know. Agreed, dude. Man, so your black rockfish, we talked about this last time. What, how, how do you go about targeting those? You know, what was the allure to making that first video? You know, it's kind of funny you ask because I actually planned to do lingcod, but they weren't biting. So I pivoted to black rockfish. But uh, <laughs> yeah, black rockfish are a super underappreciated fish, in my opinion. They are. They are, they are very common. It used to be you'd go out in a, a charter boat out of Washington. The limit was 10. Now I believe the limit is seven. It might be down to six. I think it's seven. Anybody, if, it, if anybody knows, let me know. I should really know that. But I'm going to say seven. But check your regs, everybody, because, you know, my memory ain't so good these days. But People disrespect the black rockfish because people go out in a charter boat in the open ocean to fish for 20 pound lean cod. 
and they catch a black rockfish, which weighs three or four pounds. And they just, you know, they just crank them up and they're like, oh, what a stupid fish. And they, they, they're really poor fighters. If you fight them on 10 pound tests, they're brutes. They're just like a largemouth bass, basically, you know, comparable. Maybe even stronger because yeah. they live in such, you know, they live in tides going this way and that way. I'd say they're probably stronger pound for pound. Actually, I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely say that. So, uh, yeah, to target them, it's, uh, you know, back in that video, I was using white-tailed grubs, like big old white, you, you know, just grubs bouncing off the bottom. Now I have a much more finesse approach. I tend to use a Berkeley goat minnow that just kind of like floats to the water column and you twitch it more or less. And they, they just slurp it up. You feel like a little, a little ting on your line and you jerk. But at any rate, yeah, it's a great example of a Washington fish quest fish. And in fact, my logo for the channel is a rockfish. You know, I had a great uh, il illustrator out of uh, Alaska make that, her name was Shelly, make that logo. And I said, you, I want it to be a mix of rockfish, but you have to include black, you know, because black rockfish is like, like the first video I did and just kind of part of the channel, you know, and it kind of represents uh, under-respected fish in fisheries. Because, yeah, they're, they're great fun to target. They taste great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so oh, go ahead, John. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, as far I would hate to see the channel end, to be honest with you. I know that, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I caught all these fish and all that stuff. The side quests work out like really good, in my opinion. Um, and, and we, you know, I, I commented on one of your videos, hey, let's go do a remake like a 2.0 or 3.0. And that was, yeah, for sure. Thing, of course, because uh, that's what's happening right now, because I'm all like pumped up for Shad because you just go down and catch a lot of them. But uh, have you thought about what, and, and you said that you did uh, Shad Fishing 101 already, so you've already done a remake. Have you thought about doing like multiple follow-ups on like a lot of those species, maybe trying different targeting tactics? Oh, for sure. I, I, I absolutely, different targeting tactics and just different filming tactics, you know, before, before you mentioned that, Brian, which I'd love to do a collab, by the way, you know, on my, on my channel. Uh, the, yeah, just different targeting tactics, like different, different uh, bodies of water for different fish even different filming tactics. So for instance, I was thinking, well, if I do a shad video on the Washington side of the river this year, you know, maybe I'll try to do some underwater video, which, you know, it'd be hard as heck in the Columbia with the rocks and the, the, the high flows, you know, I mean, yeah. at least a 50, 50 shot, you're going to lose that camera. But, uh, you know, I was just thinking of different ways to do it, you know, or, or, you know, beads. I mean, I use shad darts, but a lot of people just fish beads for them, which I've never really mastered, but I'm, I'm very good with the darts now. You know, I feel like I got the darts totally locked in. So yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, I'll, I'll reshoot a species or even a location, but I just got to have some kind of new angle. So I'm not giving people the same, uh, you know, the same chili, you know, I got a little cumin or something, you know. Yeah. Fly, fly well, fishing, <laughs> fly fishing for American shed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm working on it. I, I stink at fly fishing, but I would love to. Do, and, you know, I just posted a short today, by the way, and it was me fly fishing uh, South, South Puget Sound resident coho, you know. And that came up. Uh, that came up as an alert so i will be watching that you can see my form it's garbage but but at any rate you know i uh, catch fish but those shad are uh they, they'll hug close to shore too i mean they basically just want to find a little uh uh i don't know what to call it a little ridge to run across by i mean yeah, you know travel I mean? lane yeah a little travel lane absolutely yeah so i don't think you need to cast too far so yeah absolutely no that'd be cool because i mean i mean i've heard people start to call them the tarpon in the columbia you know, because they, I mean, they do look like a little tarpon and they, uh, they just pull, you know, I mean, they're just solid muscle. I mean, you pull them up and there's like, you see the veins in their face, you know I mean? They're yeah, just... Just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a mouth like that. Like you shove your whole hand in there when they gag the dart, you know, and you're kind of like, yeah, oh yeah. man, this thing's bleeding. You throw it out and it's like, Ehh. and you're like, eh, some sturgeon will eat it later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, 
it's just when you when you're like oh i'm gonna finish up i was eh, you know because because it's always hard to find like a good consistent youtube channel oh i appreciate it but I mean, keep in mind if i do if i do what i say i'm gonna do and close it up but when i get to 100 species that'll still be like 20 years of youtube which is like way more than most people do you know most people just fade into the sunset i did have a couple lean years i've always posted every year some people think i took like a hiatus but i just had some years where i didn't post much because i had a kid and you know i didn't it wasn't, it wasn't even so much that i didn't want to spend all my time with my son of course but it was i also didn't want him to think it's like appropriate to like just sit around and be on a computer all day you know because i'd say for every minute of video i have out there it probably took like an hour to edit maybe now i've got it down to half an hour but you know so like an eight hour or maybe eight minute fish quest video took somewhere between four and eight hours to edit you know so i mean that was really what it is and that's still the issue is just like finding the time to edit you know between work and i play i play co-ed softball you know softball bro and uh and uh you know just just going on hikes and just having fun with life you know spending time with your family and then balancing a youtube channel in there yeah and when, when you aren't doing it for any profit at all it's uh it's all about it's all about the community so i mean i do love to put the videos out there and I'm, i measure my success way more from community engagement than by views or subs you know i i uh, i notice when people comment i notice when people stop commenting you know it's uh you know, that's like when it gets you when like someone's commented for five years and then they like go away, you know, and life happens, you know, so, so it's no worries. But that's what I noticed when I'm just like, oh, you know, uh, you know, this person stopped me. I, I actually had three people's names flood into my head, but I'm not going to say them so they don't feel bad if they listen to this. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's really what I'm more about, you know, like the metrics are, are great, whatever, you know, I, th I think I I think I've got about uh, I'm just going to say it it's kind of funny, but uh, uh, 6,900 subs. Nice. But at any rate, uh, you know, I, uh, <laughs> but I just noticed that the other day and I was like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I hope to get like 10,000 subs, but it's just cause that's like a nice round number. You know what I mean? But honestly, if I never made another video, I'd get there, you know, <laughs> because it's after you, after you get to put so many videos out, people just sub off of those. So that's not even the point. It's like the subs, Yeah. but it's, uh, yeah, it's really the community. Um, well, we so talked we'll about like a logarithm shattering, like trying to figure out the puzzle with the sweaty guy with the big gulp down in the basement hitting the buttons for C++ programs, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. In regards to YouTube, uh, um, have you have you hit any gold mines as far as the logarithm goes? No, but I'm like the worst possible person to, to ask probably because, I mean, I have like big long banjo solos in my video and stuff. I have an intro to my video. Like, I, I, like I'll like i look at my stats and it'll be like a 20% drop in the first like six minutes because I have this little eight second intro. And the old, the, you know, the old salts love it, you know, uh, whenever I do a video without an intro, because for whatever reason, I just didn't think it was warranted. It might be a short video or it might not be an actual like fishing video, like where I did go, uh, you know, walk through that, walk to that Pioneer Cemetery. It's, uh, you know, so I didn't have a fish quest intro because I wasn't really fishing or, you know, you know, I always hear about it, like, oh, where's the intro, you know, but as far as new stuff, new people go, they hate that. Like they're like the attention span of the current YouTubers, like a few seconds. I mean, like, so if they go on to something and they're like, hey, this is a static intro, they just click right off. So point of my rambling is I do a lot of things I know that discourage people from watching my videos. Uh, you know, when I started 10 years ago, I had this philosophy of like, well, it's like a fun channel to stumble, stumble onto it. And if you do great, you know, and I kind of don't care if you. Uh, I mean, I'm grateful for every sub, but if it's not your cup of tea, whatever. Uh, if I had that philosophy now, I would say, though, if there is one thing that is making me think about that, is there is so much more competition. And that's not just other fishing channels. That's like the big, I don't want to give them any more, you know, press than they already have, but, you know, the big professional YouTubers making millions of dollars off of it, you know. If someone spends yeah. an hour on YouTube a day, like, those are also your competitors. Heck, they're probably the biggest ones. So, 
unfortunately for me, I did have to start being a little more catchy, you know, actually make like make some decent thumbnails and stuff like that. Whereas before I was just like, YouTube gives you a choice of three thumbnails. And I'd be like, oh, that one looks good. You know, like I'll just click on that one. You know, my eyes are open, you know, I'm not like blinking, you know. And, uh, but, but yeah, now I actually like, oh, I better put some text on this thumbnail, you know. And uh, so point, point of my rambling is it is, it is much harder to start a YouTube, YouTube channel now. And I haven't discovered many of those secrets. I think hashtags are important. I was, I just threw one up that I remember thinking to myself, like, ah, oh, Blake, this is like way below your quality standard. But I just had a bamboo rod. My neighbors just giving away bamboo. Yeah, and so I took two pieces of bamboo and I, I just uh, made a bamboo rod and, and uh, just went and caught, caught I might caught mini bluegill, but I only did one for the short. So I was like, this isn't even more than a full episode. It's just kind of boring. And I hashtagged it primitive. And I'm pretty sure like the primitive, you know, like building movement has so much. So it ended up in what's called the short shelf for like two hours. And so it got like 11,000 views. And I was just like, what? It's just like buying a lotto ticket. Speaking mm-hmm. of speaking of buying lotto tickets on the shorts, you know, I saw your, uh, and heck, I commented like, I think like 10 minutes after it was out, you know, but you're you know, cooking up a Springer, you know, it's like on a tailgate. And yeah. what did you guys get from that? Like 47,000 views or something? Yeah, something crazy. ridiculous like that. <laughs> well, it was crazy. You, you were like, wow, WCFP, you went viral. And I was like, haha, because I saw like 1200 views. So I was like, oh, this is nothing. And I go back and it's like 15,000. I'm like, oh my God. And I called John. I'm like, dude, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I was like, it's, a fried piece of fish in the back of a dirty car, you know? Yeah. And, and these and one guy was like, your car is dirty. You know, I think he was from India because he called me a bung or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, I, I just responded to him and I, I was like, that's what happens when you go outside, like implying that this person probably never goes out anyways. Uh, oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. But yeah, this thing like exploded. An hour later, I put the next one up of it finished, and literally, it was plated on a piece of cutout cardboard because nobody had anything. And got fifteen thousand views. I'm like, did I break the? Did I break YouTube? I did it the next day. Two hundred views. Nope, didn't break it. No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess they really are like scratch chickens. But to give you some credit for that short and the ones you've done similarly, those people who catch springers, you know, on the Columbia and its tributaries, know how good they are. So I mean, for someone like me to watch that and see the fat coming off of that, it's still like an enjoyable yeah. little clip, you know. But for the people, yeah, you know, like in India or wherever that have never had a spring Chinook, you know, I mean, it probably is just like, you know, put, popped up on their short shelf and they were like, well, okay, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I mean, yeah, they have no idea probably what they're, you know, what they're seeing. What they're you know, really looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, yeah. So it didn't used to be that way. YouTube did used to be a lot more logical. Like you would, I swear there used to be more of a like effort you put into a video and like the amount you edited equaled, uh, oh, success i guess and it kind of is an example of that unfortunately my hard drive corrupted i did a i did a post on that on my channel i had three videos and like my my external hard drive first time in 10 years just kind of went sideways on me and like all those i can't play them now like all the files are bad one of them was a retrospective so i did some i did some research about youtube 10 years ago on youtube today so in my first five years i had something like two dozen videos that went over 10,000 views and some of them went up to like over a hundred, but you know, most of them are somewhere in the mid tens, you know, and I usually, the reason I say this, I usually don't do that kind of research. Cause like I said, I'm not so views driven as I am community engagement driven. And but anyway, so two dozen in my first five years, in my last five years, I think I have had three videos go over 10,000 views. And that's just an example of like how, I guess I didn't look at the shorts though, but, but at any rate, that's just an example of how a, there's like way more competition and B, I think the algorithm determines your success wildly more than like the amount of effort you actually put into a video, you know, because I think there is so much noise 
you know, if there's five Washington videos a day, it might be 10. Let's say there's 10 Washington fishing videos a day. Let's say Washington or Pacific Northwest, you know, upper, upper corner there. But, you know, like nobody has the time to watch all 10, you know I mean? So you got to rely, the algorithm is going to tell you what to watch, you know? And yeah. uh, so it does feel way more random. To go back to your original question, as far as any kind of secret goes, what I always tell anybody who's starting that asks me for my opinion is be a strong host. It's really bizarre, but humans like to see other humans, you know? So they, I mean, the most, the most successful channel in our state is called Northwest Fishing Secrets. And, uh, and you know, and I've talked, I've talked to life a few times and he's a real good guy. He's actually like gave me advice and it's, it's, uh, it's like not for me just because I'm not like going for like a giant, uh, YouTube following necessarily, but you know, he, he's basically just, this, you know, like you gotta like narrate everything. You know what I mean? Like, you gotta just like tell people what's going on, you know, you know, post, post to me who will do like a big banjo solo, get, get right into the action was, you know, another tip where it's like, I am not a uh, action-packed fellow, you know. I mean, I am, but like, I'll sit there and be like, "Well, here I am at this river, you know." And uh, oh, there's a, there's a guy sleeping under a bridge there. And uh, oh, hey, I found a melt, car- <laughs> melt carton on the ground. I'm gonna see if it's still good. Oh no, that was a bad idea. That smelled terrible, you know. Like, and then I'll be like, "Well, at any rate, I'm here to catch, uh, you know, the, the famous shad of the Columbia River, <laughs> Columbia the Tarpon, Columbia, Tarpon the Columbia. That is like people call them." I was like ramble on for a minute, you know. I don't, I'm not like thinking about it, and I know during that time it's just like for those that you know, for everybody listening, my hands go making a down motion now, like, woo, you know, like and basically every bit of my regulars is tuned out, but I don't care. It's like whatever. Like I say, if you like the channel, great. If you don't, then uh, also great. You know, whatever. Yeah, but I'd say be a strong host. Get right into the action. That'd be the voice. That'd be the that'd be the advice I give to anybody trying to uh, make their channel bigger. I also do believe YouTube does favor monetization. Why wouldn't they? They're Google. They want to make a lot of money. Like, so if you don't monetize, I do think you're at a disadvantage, but that might just be sour grapes because I don't monetize. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, I, I would say, I would say if, if that's your goal, then, uh, also if you don't monetize, it becomes way less of your goal because like, why would I care? You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather have someone watch it and have it like resonate with them and go, oh, that's my backyard. He just taught me how to do a new thing opposed to someone like super far away that's like oh that was a video i watched you know and this kind of time for another one you, you know what i mean like I'd, I'd rather i'd rather people have more of a quality reaction than like a like oh that's just another thing in the offering mm-hmm. so what has been your favorite catch to date that you've caught not necessarily just for your youtube but for you personally so oh boy that's a good question uh my favorite my favorite question personally so in the interview that got all, that got uh, you know messed up due to the Bill Dance curse, you know, it's funny. You asked me my favorite video, and I had like no response. I was just kind of like, uh, I don't know. They're all okay, you know. And uh, I thought about that. And so first, I'm gonna give you that answer because I want to make sure I get it out. So in my eighth video, not only did I switch to digital recording opposed to little tapes, but I uh, I mentioned that I asked I asked my wife to marry me, my future wife. So and that and it, so that was great. She said yes. And then I also, it was a red tail surf perch video, which I caught like eight of them. And a lot of them are really nice size. So that was probably my favorite video. Favorite catch. It's been a long time. The channel catfish one. I should also mention with my channel, I don't pretend to be like a great angler or anything. I'm just an average dude that likes to fish. You know, I have some, some fisheries I'm really dialed into and some that I, it's the first time I do them. So thinking about that, Probably the channel catfish was big to me because I'd never done it, never, never been channel catfishing. I really had to figure it out. Usually it's the, the fisheries I really have to like figure out. This will sound silly now, but squidding was that way. The market squid, we talked about that earlier. I didn't know uh, the right kind of jigs to use, you know, and I went out and did bad at first. And then I went out and got them. 
uh, let's see here. Some of them, I mean, we talked about shad. So my original Washington fish quest for shad was real lousy. I think I caught five. I was doing stuff like throwing Swedish pimples. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just like, here's the, here's the gear I own. I'm in retrospect, I'm happy I scraped out the five because I was just like throwing random stuff. But, you know, then you know, she had 101 several years later, like five, almost more than that, it was probably eight years later. And I was, and I was able to say, hey, I've dialed into them now. I've been doing this for, you know, seven or eight years, you know, opposed to that first video I shot. So here's how I do it. I'm very confident in my approach. And that's, it's one of my more popular videos, actually, that Shad 101. And uh, so that's always rewarding when I do an early video. And then I come back, you know, five to 10 years later. And I'm like, all right, now I'm, now I'm basically crushing this fishery, you know, and I would, and I would tell anybody, this is my, just my opinion. If you're new to a fishery, in my opinion, it's like, the third trip is when you start catching fish. You know what I mean? Like the, it's totally fine for the first two just to get scum. And even the third, I mean, might even be the fourth you start, but you know, I try to teach people how to fish, not just be like, here's exactly where to go. You know, I'll tell them the gear I'm using, but I mean, you know, the beautiful thing about life and fishing is figuring stuff out on your own and making your own decisions. So it's like, if I tell you what to do or any YouTuber is just like that prescriptive, it's going to take all of the, what am I trying to say? Uh, the, Adventure. Yeah, adventure, the self-determination out of it, you know, and it's like I tell people to go talk to people that are fishing, you know, where they're at, you know, there's a good chance you're going to learn something better from them than you would from me anyway. So, you know, let's see. Uh, sorry, that was kind of a roundabout answer. I would say an episode I really enjoyed was I was in a King Salmon Derby, only Derby, derby I've ever entered into my life. And I catch this, I jig up this really nice king in this spot that's, uh, you know, it's Boston Harbor. It's near my house and it's pretty good for Kings in August, but it was like before they show up, usually they show up in mid August. It was like the second or third day of August. So I catch this fish. I go to, to drive it to the Derby station. My motor blows. And uh, so I don't get it there. I later found out I probably almost certainly would have got second or third place, which would have been good for like 1500 or like 2000 bucks. And, uh, but you know, those episodes are, you know, that was, that episode was fun, even though King Salmon's not that big of a deal, you know, cause there's, there's so many videos and, you know, I caught a lot of them, but it was just, uh, I caught a really nice one early in the season. Uh, my buddy Shingo came and rescued me in his boat, which like, so for me, that's a precious memory. You know, it's just always good to know you have friends that I'll pull your butt out of the fire, you know? And, uh, so <laughs> it was one of those days out there. You got a lot of changing currents. Yeah. Well, and I went over Anderson Island, which is this Island that's in the middle of South Sound because it was <laughs> quick quickest route to get to the, the lowest derby, the most Southern Derby station, which was Point Defiance, I think. Mm -hmm. It might've been Stilcom, I can't remember. But at any rate, I had a VHF radio because the island was there. I couldn't, uh, the, other, the other boats, you know, cause it was like, nobody's fishing up there. All the boats are on the South side of the island. It blocked me out. So, I mean, I was lucky to get Shingo on the cell phone to come rescue me. So at any rate, if you watch Fish Washington Fish West, everybody, which you haven't, you'll see all kinds of, uh, you know, numb scullery like that out there, you know, where I, you know, I, catch a fish and my motor blows up or whatever, you know what I mean? I fall in the water, you know, I jerk and fall on my butt, you know, stuff like that. You know, that's all, it's all, uh, it's all good. You know, I love to include that sort of thing when I do it. Just making sure Brian wasn't going to say something. <laughs> so we kind of got on the talk last time about the whales. Oh yeah. So, and that, and that was in the, is that in the sound? Where, where, where was that at? Yeah, I think we were talking about orca whales and hatcheries yeah. in, in general. I tell you what, Brian, if you want to, if we want to team up the questions here, you want to ask me the hatchery question again? 
I was kind of caught flat-footed the first time, and I'll combine the answers to these two questions, and it'll so, be much more articulate than it was when we uh, on that Bill Vance curse episode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before the Tennessee volunteer hat went flying out of the back of the bass boat, we were talking about this whole debate of the hatchery and wild um, debacle, I guess. And you live you live in Puget Sound, which based on what I understand in my research, Southern resident orcas, that's, that's what exists there. And there were some decisions made uh, by the US Fish and Wildlife Service that were supplemented and, and um, funded by the governor to increase hatchery fish production and release on the sound in order to supplement wild food supply for the Southern resident orca population. While we have groups that are anti-hatchery who are lobbying those places, um, I, think, I think if I remember the way the question was, was are you seeing a direct impact of those hatchery and wild populations in, in those tributary rivers in your area? You know, I think it's a little early to see the, the impact yet. I'm kind of lucky in South Sound in that most of the hatcheries they've ramped up are headed back this way. You know, they do that so that they have to go all the way down Puget Sound, I imagine. So I think I might, maybe I have, you know, I, I, that said, it seems to be the coho there coming back in huge numbers. The, the kings, I think, are still lagging behind. But uh, yeah, so to, to Brian's point there, uh, you know, we have we have Southern and John's point. There's there's Southern resident or not Southern, there's Puget Sound resident orcas. It's a population of orca whale, unlike the transient orcas, which live out in the open ocean, the Puget Sound and basically Salish Sea orcas, so we include uh, BC as well. They are a smaller pod. They're generally a little smaller orca, but they've they've evolved that their lower jaw is soft. Uh, so they, they can't eat sea lions, apparently, like their uh, ocean-going counterparts. When the transient orcas come in, most anglers like you know, throw up their arms in victory and cheer because they're going to like annihilate a bunch of sea lions. <laughs> but, but the resident uh, orcas, they just basically eat salmon and specifically for whatever reason, king salmon. So they were basically starving. And, uh, you know, and I'm not saying it's not because we didn't mess everything up or anything like that, but they were, you know, the, the king salmon numbers are way down. And it was a really kind of boon for everybody, tribal fishermen, commercial fishermen, recreational fishermen, you know, the target kings, because the governor basically came out and said, hey, you know, it was this, it was this big controversy, the wild versus hatchery. And he basically came out and said, hey, we got to like ramp up the hatcheries. So now we, you know, now it's at least with the king salmon, this doesn't seem to be any kind of major controversy. I'm sure there, that there is some that I'm not seeing, but at least for right now, the hatcheries are really ramped up and they're, and they're, they're cranking out the kings. And, uh, you know, I think that's the right call. Orca, you know, orcas are, you know, uh, uh, megafauna, you know, it's for their very, uh, emblematic to Puget Sound. You know, most people that live on them, it's a big deal. They even come down where I am, which is like very far south Puget Sound. They came down last year and it's uh, it's always a, uh, whatever you want to describe it as, it's like a very, I mean, if you're into, if you're like a spiritual person, it's like a spiritual experience for sure, just to see them. Uh, you know, you see it more out in the Strait of Juan de Fuca and that sort of thing where there's more prey. But I mean, when they're down in the skinny water, it's like, it blows your mind because they're such big animals, you know. But at any rate, yeah, so... Uh, Hatchery production was was cranked up, and I, yeah, that was the that was the right call as far as saving the workers go, and as far as everybody who fishes for king salmon, it's they also believe it was the right call. So, uh, yeah. 
have you seen a lot of opposition uh, or, or read of a lot of opposition to the hatchery programs up in that area? I haven't really. I mean, if there's opposition, it's probably on the Olympic Peninsula, and that's probably more so to steelhead hatcheries, if I had to guess. You know, and I, and I don't want to paint uh, anyone on either side with, like, too bad a brush. I understand saving wild genetics because, uh, you know, when I'm at CQ and I hook a coho, I know almost immediately if it's a hatchery or a wild because mm-hmm. the wild fish just goes bonkers and is jumping everywhere. And, you know, a five pound hatchery or a five pound wild fights like a 10 pound hatchery. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage the people trying to save the wild genetics, you know, at all. Uh, you know, and if there's a, and I, I believe it should be on a river by river basis, but in general, you know, uh, we have almost 8 million people living in Washington state. Now, if we want to actually have fisheries, there's, basically no choice but to have hatcheries I mean, you got to have hatcheries otherwise there simply wouldn't be the fish to, to catch uh you know and it's not just for people either you know it's uh the, the trees the forest they they you know they relied on those nutrients coming back i mean there's a lot of hatchery programs now that just take bricks of chum or, or king or whatever and you know they throw it up into the forest above the dam because they're they used to all those nitrates coming back all that nitrogen coming into the soil and in addition to you know in addition to the all the fisher people i mean there, there's the ecosystem argument uh, there's one other argument you have forgot what it was but i guess just just having those salmon back to like the historical numbers it's, it's you know it's good for people good for whales good for the ecosystem you know i understand the genetics argument and like i say river by river you know if, if you tell me a river has like 90 percent wild genes i'm willing you know i'll listen to that and say okay well, that might be a case to not have a hatchery there but in general like i'd rather uh, not lose fishing <laughs> yeah uh you know and it's like i say it's good for the ecosystem i'd like to think i put the ecosystem first in, in most decisions you know like when i'm thinking about like oh is this really a wise fishery to have or not and uh you know this place evolved with salmon running up the river all the way to idaho so it's uh you know as much as we, you know it's it's unfortunately we do have to supplement it but if that's what we got to do then i'm glad that we can at least kind of mimic that uh function in the ecosystem I, dude, I agree 100%, you know, and, you know, even here in the South, without hatcheries, we wouldn't have a lot of our fish. I mean, we'd have our warm water species, but trout, I mean, you've got the White River. They were stocked, you know, let's take brown trout, you know, Samatretta, the brown trout, right? It, you know, it was stocked in the White and the Pier Marquette in like 1880-something or whatever. And, you know, they're not native here, but everyone loves the brown trout. But fisheries like Northeast Texas, like where I live, we wouldn't have any trout here, period, without hatcheries. So, yeah. uh, you know, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, John. I was just going to pile on to your point. No, I was just going to say, I I think it's, it's a really healthy for the angling community. And also for the ecosystems, once again, as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, the, the birds as well, you know what I mean? Like I go to all these, you know, trout season right now, lowland trout season when we're recording this. I mean, heck, it's going to be until fall. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, you see all the, all the hawks and eagles and stuff swooping down and getting the trout, which they wouldn't be able to otherwise. I wouldn't be able to really teach my son how to fish if, if we didn't have stock trout and uh, mm-hmm. whether it was bucket biology or the state, you know, like bluegill and, you know, bass and, you know, in the, in the, in the lakes up here, which are not, neither of those are native species in Washington, but, you know, love to catch them. It's uh, yeah. I, and I'd say probably half, half the fish on my channel 
our hatchery to get back to like how this is like kind of a, I understand both sides is like, if I could go back in time and somehow make it to where I could restore everything to how it was, but somehow also still have us all here, including me, <laughs> I probably would, you know, if I could, if I could have this rivers full of salmon, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, just like, you you know, like the old stories of, you know, walking across the river and all that and the June hogs, which are the, you know, hundred pound King salmon that used to run up the Columbia, you know, past, uh, uh, you know, Black Lake Roosevelt now, you know, bon you know, past all the dams. I think I would probably press that button, but I can't because almost 8 million people live in Washington state, you know, none of us can. Mm -hmm. So again, I think fishing is a bigger, biggest, biggest enough part of our heritage. You know, there's other, there's other megafauna that rely on the fish and just the ecosystem itself, not even the megafauna, the scavengers, the plants, you know, it's uh, it's good to have that biomass in the ecosystem, you know, even if, even if you're not fishing for them personally, I mean, it's, uh, seems like the way to go to me. Yeah. And, and I, so I listen to a lot of other podcasts too. And, and I think it, it depends on the people that you're talking to, right? It depends on the crowd that you're talking to and, and what, what I view it as, and, and a lot of people disagree with it with some scientific merit and some that might not necessarily be more illogically like it in the, more of the feelings-based category i guess is that if we don't have the hatcheries number one we're gonna have an excessive amount of pressure on the wild population because it's going to become more and more pressured in areas where you know if if you have a mix of hatchery and wild and you have the opportunity to catch hatchery fish People do catch hatchery fish. Those are the ones that get pulled out of the water. It puts more reverence on the wild fish. Now, we have a couple of rivers where they discontinued hatchery programs here where they said, oh, yeah, the wild fish are going to come back. They have. It hasn't happened. And when we start talking about like that whole restore thing, this is what I want the people that say, well, we're going to restore wild fish by getting rid of hatchery fish. This is what I want you to honestly know. And this, and this is documented in hundreds of different articles and journals and reports. We have to take out all the roads. We have to take out all of the buildings. We have to take out all the dams. We have to remove human beings. And we have to basically restore everything to pre-human contact or very limited human contact in order to restore the appropriate biodome, you know, the biome that is needed to have really heavy thriving fish populations. And to be honest with you, the people that want to get rid of those hatchery fish still need ways to communicate. They need electricity, right? Well, where's our electricity come from? Well, we wanna, we wanna think that there's wind power and solar power, but solar power you know, deflects light off and barbecues birds as they fly through the air and wind turbines take out bats and birds and everything else. And, there's not a lot of windy spots. So the, it's not just as easy as yanking hatchery fish out. And I would argue to the contrary that yanking hatchery fish out of a river is not going to have much of an impact on wild fish return populations. The, the, like you said, Blake, the, the, the megafauna, the, the supporting ecosystem, everything else, they have to have it. So yeah, well, I'll just think, I mean, this is going to be a bold claim. It's not based on science, everybody, but I don't know how, so let's say we didn't have hatcheries, like how could they, how could they survive the pinnipeds? You know, I mean, the seals, the sea lions, you know, it's, there's been there, I believe it, I think it might've been, uh, it might've been Oregon, uh, 
shoot, I, I apologize. What's your equivalent of a fish and wildlife, Brian? ODFW. ODFW. Oregon oh, Department same. of Fish and Wildlife. Yeah, same. Oh, sweet. That's great. Uh, at any rate, uh, some of them, you know, aren't exactly bears like that. So that's great. But I think it was them who released a study. I could be wrong, but saying basically, you know, wild, wild steelhead are going to go extinct, you know, I mean, just with the current level of independent predation on them. So I don't know if you don't have hatchery fish absorbing some of that, like, I mean, maybe then the pinnipeds, like, you know, they, they decrease, but I kind of doubt it because they eat a lot of Yukon, you know, the smelt coming back. They eat, I mean, they eat a lot of other things. I mean, they're very opportunistic, mm-hmm. but uh, again, I, yeah, to your point, this is the care, the carry, carrying capacity has been reduced so much at this point. I don't know how you do it without hatcheries, unfortunately. Uh, oh, hey, and I remember I was going to say, say to John earlier, too, to his point about uh, his fisheries in Texas is like kokanee's became an extremely popular fishery up here. And I don't, I, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not like a, a, a lake ecologist, but uh, in a lot of the lakes they are here, like the ones near my house, at least, you know, they're big, what do I, what I call them, like low yield lakes, you know, it's like these big open lakes. There's, you know, and they, there really was nothing in the middle of the water column, you know, like most of the, most of the fish were, you know, near the bottom. So you put this species of fish in there, it's just like chowing down on plankton, you know, the wrecks love it, you know, it's, uh, doesn't seem to be, I don't really see the negative and, you know, again, this is not really a scientific opinion, but it's my com, my kind of more common sense one, I guess. They don't seem to really be doing anything bad to the ecosystem, you know, I mean, so it's, uh, we wouldn't have that opportunity without hatcheries, you, you know, to catch those landlocked sockeye, kokanee salmon. And it's a wonderful fishery. There's a great tasting fish. And uh, I mean, that's just another example of where it's uh, really lucky to have that, that fishery. It's thanks to hatcheries. Yeah. Well, anyway, everybody, this has been Hatchery Talk. We'll talk to you. We'll see you next week. You know? <laughs> I was waiting for John to cut loose at the next question. So I didn't step all over him here. No, hey, so I, you know, I was I was just thinking about that, you know, but we're we're talking a lot about andronomous fish. Yeah. So I I could you know, devil's advocate here, you know, looking from the looking through the the looking glass, you know. Heck yeah. Um. We have native. Let's let's just let's just take the Appalachian brook trout, right? Um we should probably not be stocking fish in those streams. Um, but we are. There's, oh, uh, are. There are. They're, they're stocking rainbows. This one specific area I'm thinking of right now, uh, rainbows have made it all the way up to where the brookies are now. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the thought was there. You know, I... I know like the Tennessee trout fishing is, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Um, I didn't realize it, but it's, you know, it's a pretty big deal, but we shouldn't have rainbows in those streams. We shouldn't have Browns in those streams mm-hmm. um, in order to preserve those, you know, those native creeks and streams and small little tribs, you know, it's, but uh, andronomous fish, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think, I don't think the recreational aspect of fishing survives without the hatcheries. And I don't think a lot of these other, uh, I like how y'all have been using the word fauna have been, uh, it wouldn't survive now. We've, we as humans have made such an impact on our environment that without the hatchery programs, they just wouldn't survive. 
Well, th thank you, John. We, use, you know, we use the term fine because we're just real smart, you know, just some of the smartest people you ever meet. But it's, uh, no, to your point, and I super appreciate you bringing that up. You know, I'm all about dialectics, you know, and in, in the modern political discourse, we have too many just like disagreements, you know, I really like the dialectic where we get to the truth of a subject opposed to like arguing, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, uh, to your point, I mean, a couple of examples of that in Washington are we have really depleted rockfish populations, you know, so you know, we talked about black rockfish earlier, black rockfish, blue rockfish, yellow tail rockfish, opposed to yellow eye, yellow tail. They all have fairly reasonable life. I wouldn't try to reasonable as far as human standards, but as you know, say, as far as like a fish that you catch, they have relatively normal lifespans. They can reproduce after five or six years, you know? So those are the species that, you know, I think are good to target as far as rockfish go. Then we have, we have a fish like the yellow eye rockfish that they can take up. They can live for over a hundred years easy and they don't reproduce till I think they're about 30 and if not older, I mean, they're, they're really slow growing, you know, you can't fish here, fish for them here no more. So that's an example of where we could introduce hatcheries and bring those fish back. Instead Washington has chosen to basically have like depth restrictions, you know, in Puget Sound, unless you're fishing for salmon, it's like 120 feet or halibut. But I think that's a better approach than starting another hatchery program, you know, and like, that's going to cost a lot of money. And, uh, you know, it's uh, who knows how it's going to go and all that. And uh, so that, that's an example where I think it is, is wiser. There, there, Washington does have a rockfish conservation plan. And I believe one of the last, maybe the last rung is to just like do hatcheries to reintroduce them. And we haven't got there, but, and I believe it's actually working the restrictions. I mean, cause they've opened up some species in the open ocean, not yellow eye yet, but I think about every other species. So sometimes conservation is the answer more than hatcheries, but again, those are fish that live in the open ocean. You, you know what I mean? Like we're not mm -hmm. building uh, dams in the open ocean yet. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But we're not Hopefully building dams in the open ocean. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just a vast ecosystem and it'll, it'll heal if you let it. And, uh, you know, another, another great example to what you just said, John, was, uh, you know, we have a native red dam trout in Washington State, and I'm sure Oregon as well. I mean, because they're off of, you know, trips of the Columbia, and brook trout will push them right off their spawning bed. So that's a great example where it's like, yeah, you do not want to introduce a hatchery there. Uh, and like I say, I'm a hatchery fish there. You know, you always want the native fish to rain. You know, and the, the brook program, the brook trout in those streams was a big, big issue. And then another uh, example, like, like I said, if, if there's a river on the Olympic Peninsula that someone tells me the steelhead here have primarily wild genes, we think that's worth preserving, you know, then I'm absolutely open to that argument of, of yeah, maybe, like maybe on this river, we don't have a hatchery. And mm -hmm. then, uh, then another one, just the last kind of now that, you know, after arguing for hatcheries now arguing almost, you know, but I guess really I'm arguing for nuance in our fisheries management. I was going to say is a coastal cutthroat trout in Washington state yeah. are, uh, they are all native. There's no, you know, there's been, they've been introduced in lakes, but as far as the ones that run in Puget Sound, those that's a strain of fish that's thousands of years old you know millennia old i mean there's not a hatchery fish in there you have to catch and release them it's like a trophy fly fishery you can catch them on spinners and stuff too but i mean that's an example where it's like yeah leave those fish alone don't don't introduce a hatchery you know regardless of your politics whether it's you know because you don't want to spend the money on a hatchery you know or you don't want to introduce the you know start like kind of watering down the gene pool it just doesn't make sense so I mean, yeah, it's absolutely. There's there's cases where it makes sense, and cases where it just is uh, doesn't don't make no sense at all. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I what you touch on there, Blake, is is like there are species and there are river, you know, ecosystems, uh, you know, drainages where you have a, a predominant wild population, just like those those streams in Tennessee that have the predominant wild, uh, you know, stuff. 
it, it's it's important to preserve that because that's we we got to where we're at now because we didn't preserve it yeah i would hate to see us sit there and, and like try to rob peter to pay paul and be like all right so let's say like uh the quinault we'll use a river in your area the quinault river which john has no idea just thinks all of the river nam names are funny you know but yeah <laughs> but, so we'll use the quinault uh the the confederated tribes of the quinault have a fantastic broodstock steelhead program i don't know if there's a, even any wild fish left because typically yeah. tribal releases and and u.s fish and wildlife service they don't add a post clip or do anything like that They're, they come back this could be a really old wild fish or it could be a hatchery you, you really don't know unless they have like angling deadlines i've never fished up there before all i see is monster steelhead come out of there yeah but but you would take like the hoe river or the hump tulips or you know any one of those other op rivers if they have some kind of proof that says, yeah, there's 95% wild winter steelhead and 95% wild summer steelhead, yeah, by all means, don't put a hatchery on it. But I also think that uh, it's a big disservice as well to not have those hatcheries on those rivers where maybe it's down to 10 to 15% wild. And it's like, oh, we don't want to lose the strain. Well, we don't either. But at the same time, it's kind of not there. And here and it didn't work. So our broodstock program has replaced that. I would hope that WDFW takes some lessons from us and get some broodstock programs going because that, I'll tell you what, it's turned around our coastal rivers. Yep. Well, so, gents, are we, I'm just making sure, are we coming up on time? We are coming up on time. I was going to uh, just... Uh, I guess what I was going to say was, uh, Blake, uh, you know, we've had so much, we had fun in our first hour, we had fun in this hour, but um, if people want to check you out, and we've had just an awesome conversation on this hatchery thing, I would love to continue this and, and to really look at it in more depth and not just cut off on it, but um, because I think we all have good perspectives on it. But if somebody wants to get a hold of you, somebody wants to watch you, how did they get a hold of you? Well, I basically just got the YouTube channel. I guess I have an Instagram that I don't really use that well. I mean, I basically use it just to communicate with uh, working class fishing podcast. That's about it. You know, but it's, uh, I, don't, I don't update it like I should, you know, like I need to remember to, you know, take pictures. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, just YouTube, you know, Washington Fish Quest. I look at every, every comment. I try to respond to every comment. Sometimes it might take a while, but if you ever need to get a hold of me, uh, just leave me a comment on my YouTube and I'll, I'll, I'll find it, even if it has nothing to do with the video, because like it, it tells you, you know, so I'll, I'll respond there or yeah, or, or hit me up on Instagram, I guess. But I mean, that, that's about it. I'm really just a YouTuber. Yeah, I don't do much else. <laughs> <laughs> Besides work at the urinal cake factory. I do work at the urinal cake factory head, head taste tester. You know, it's. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that just makes me. Yeah. I was looking at a urinal cake today, thinking about the interview when I was at work. I was just like. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, like, yeah. seriously so thanks so much for coming on not once but twice and sharing with us and dude it's been a blast man and it, it it's been a true pleasure thanks for coming on dude oh no absolutely and but before i leave let me do some plugs for like i said i'm going to try to keep innovating on my channel there'll be a lot of the old same old you know folks like salmon during salmon season gooey duck during gooey duck season you know all that good stuff so i mean it'll always be that but uh 
I know people, this is a audio uh, medium, but half my mustache is gone. And that's because I just completed a free diving class and, uh, you know, water is flowing into my masks. I had as I was a lot bushier the last time you two spoke to me. So it's, uh, yeah. So I look forward to doing some free diving videos. That's kind of a new, new thing I want to explore, maybe get into spearfishing. Honestly, though, I just want to check out what it's like down there, you know? And uh, so I just, just literally last week and finished that up on Hood Canal. And, uh, you know, I want to get more into fly fishing. Like I say, I'm lousy at it, but I'm learning, you know, and it's, uh, it's always a totally different sensation catching a fish on a fly, you know, a fly rod than, you know, terminal gear. And uh, yeah, just look forward to, there's some fish species. I'm not going to name them because I don't want people to get the scoop on me, <laughs> but they get the jump on me. But there is, there is some things in Washington that ain't been done and it's not going to be easy at this point. All the low hanging fruits been picked up. But, you know, I'm looking forward to climbing some trees here and getting that like last apple at the very pinnacle, you know, and, uh, and pulling it down, you know, and, and bringing it to you, you know, the, my, uh, my, my friends who watch my channel. So that's just my, my little plug for myself. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you did. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, right. yeah but Blake, thank you so much for coming back on. We really appreciate it. Second time around. We'll definitely have another one in the future again because we'll be talking about more stuff that's going to have all kinds of cool things coming around but uh seriously folks go over check out blake's channel it's washington fish quest it's all one word i don't think there's any underscores or periods right blake nope it's washington fish yeah. quest just washington. fish quest get you there yeah yeah like you know george washington but washington fish quest go over there check him out on youtube you can follow him on instagram too uh great place to message him from if you wanted to follow him over there but fantastic videos fantastic stuff fantastic content so uh blake thank you so much again from myself from our our listeners and everybody absolutely it's been a pleasure and an honor uh, gen gentlemen of culture you know brian and john <laughs> love the working working class fishing podcast a lot of parallels with my channel you know super appreciate the work that you both put in well thanks dude <laughs> Oh, yeah. And everybody, as always, thanks for listening. This episode has been brought to you by Troutlander Nets, exploration through innovation, Max and Outfitters, made by anglers for people that fish, Lid Rig, Use Your Head, Snip Different, and Morris Flyco, Eating Big. All right, folks. Well, thanks again for listening. If you want to get in, in touch with John or myself, you can always email us at workingclassfish at gmail.com, or you can go to any one of our multiple platforms that we are on. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, but you won't find us on Twitter. So until next time, make sure you reach out to us. Thank you so much for listening and everybody have a wonderful day.